Bigfoot, Maniko Kachawa. This is We Talk Games Arcade Weekly, an arcade review show brought to you each Monday free of charge from your friends over at WeTalkGames.com. And yes, that's every Monday, even if it is Christmas like it is today. And it's the last and final holiday haymakers for 2017. Very excited. I'm filled to the brim with that Christmas spirit. And I'm very happy to be joined along with Kevin WK from 8-Bit Geek. Yeah, hey, what's up? I can't match that enthusiasm, but I'm going to try my best to. <laughs> you got to dip into some more of that eggnog. Oh, man, I'm doing shots of eggnog and putting it right into my veins. Mm, the bourbon and salmonella just mixed together so well. <laughs> it really coagulates with your blood. Now, Kevin, you are a world record holder in the game of Double Dragon for the arcade. So, of course, this week for the final episode of Holiday Haymakers 2017, we're talking... Battletoads, Battletoads Arcade, <laughs> Super Battletoads, 1994 by Rare. Yes, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> well, I mean, it does because a lot of people, when they think Battletoads, they think Battletoads Double Dragon, which was a great game. That um, was the best one, in my opinion. You think so? It Was that the best Double Dragon game or the best Battletoads game? Oh, best Battletoads game. Double Dragon, I would say Double Dragon 1 was the best Double Dragon game. Maybe even Double Dragon 2, because they kind of like up the formula there, but we don't talk about Double Dragon 3. Nobody Double Dragon, does. <laughs> yeah, Double Dragon 3. Summer of Stink, maybe you will be talking about that. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> I would be down with that. Cool. Now, of course, Holiday Haymakers, we're talking about Haymaker games, also known as side-scrolling brawlers. Now, Kevin, because you're a world record holder in, in Double Dragon, I I'm interested to know... What makes a good brawler, in your opinion? What made Double Dragon appealing to you to seek out that high score? I'd say the challenge and the replayability of mm -hmm. the whole thing. It just felt fun to play. The, the soundtrack was amazing. Mm, yes. To me, personally, there was a lot of memories in it. When I grew up, I lived like one house away from the corner store or the bodega, as you East Coasters call it. <laughs> and their first arcades, they got two arcades in there, and it was Yi'ar Kung Fu okay. and Double Dragon. And yeah, I'm going for Double Dragon as well in that arcade. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah in, that, in that back area of the grocery store, there was nobody on Yi'ar Kung Fu, and there was a line of like 10 people with uh, Double Dragon. And I kind of just cut my teeth on that game because I, that was the only thing I had to play, and I loved it. Yeah. And one of my first life achievements was beating Double Dragon with one quarter. Wow. So, yeah. That's I incredible. Mean, it, it was so much fun. And it's just, like I said, I get so hyped. Even like I'm 36 years old and I still get hyped up when I hear the theme song. You know, yeah. it's just one of those themes it just sticks with you for the rest of your life. I think why Brawlers spoke to me, because we're around the same age uh, yeah. as a kid, was because there were arcade games that were very challenging when I was younger. And even though Brawlers, you know, would punch you in the dick and take your quarters, you could just keep playing the game by putting more quarters in and seeing what would happen next, regardless if you were any good or not. And of course, I'm right. thinking back to being a kid and playing Simpsons and Turtles like everybody did. Yeah, Simpsons um, is the first one that came to mind when you said that. I spent like the first time I played Simpsons, I think I spent $5 in tokens trying to get to the ending. 
Yeah, and you know, as I got older, my tastes in games changed. And just doing this show, brawlers have become my least favorite genre because we review <laughs> them so often. And it's interesting to find ones that are significantly better than others because I feel like this was a genre in the arcade that was flooded and we've talked about this on the show like it was very easy for any developer to just have a side scroller brawler mm -hmm. repeat the same four enemies over and over again do some palette swaps and take right. quarters so it, I like when we talk about games that do something different or have elements about them that built upon the foundation of the genre. I don't know if Battletoads for the arcade does that per se, but there is a lot of good in this game. Oh, definitely. Um, I didn't want people to get thrown off in the beginning because we did talk about how uh, Battletoads Double Dragon was like, I, I would agree with you, probably the best in the franchise, although mm -hmm. canonically it's a, it's a crossover. Right. But I think Super Battletoads, being the last official Battletoads game, mm -hmm. it was a good note to end on. Because I don't know if the Battletoads, much like Earthworm Jim or Duke Nukem, could survive out of the 90s. Right? True, very true. It was a very 90s game, very 90s concept too. I'm still baffled that the turtles are around, yeah. to be honest. <laughs> Really, they've transcended time. But the thing is, like, the Turtles, I don't know, man. There's so many different ways you can explore it. Because, like, when they first started off, they were kind of like... I don't understand how they made a cartoon of that in the first place. It's kind of mm. like when they made the Toxic Crusaders out of the Toxic Avenger. Yes, very, was, and and not a, not a, as big of a gap to jump between a trauma film and a Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. the, the Eastman Turtles comic was a very big departure from the Saturday morning cartoon and the Playmate Definitely. toys. Yeah, a lot more violent, a lot more gritty. And then the cartoons came out, and then all of a sudden they have a toy line and video games and everything like that, and it just kind of changes up the game for them. And that's how most of our generations and the future generations remember Teenage Mutant right. Turtles is like this lubby-dubby kind of happy dudes. Yeah. When it wasn't Kevin Eastman's idea of that wasn't really like that. <laughs> no, and the, those comics, which I think you can get now as a part of these digital download comic apps, mm -hmm. still hold up today. I oh, love definitely. the art style. For those who are not like super familiar into comics, there's this cool sort of, what would you say, co-oping of the Daredevil storyline or origin story to the Ninja Turtles story. And I don't want to spoil yeah. too much, but if you haven't read those comics and you're getting into comics or you do like comics, give Marvel a rest, all right? You, you get in a movie every yeah. six months. Well, try <laughs> something different and something from the past. You might enjoy it. And, and I really, I appreciate the, um, the dark humor and, and, and the violence yeah. of the original uh, Turtles comic. But of course, yes, it became a Saturday morning cartoon and it was an explosion of pop culture ephemera mm -hmm. everywhere. Lunchboxes, thermoses, toys, placemats, t-shirts, hats, yeah. action figures, rack toys, <laughs> like all sorts <laughs> of just junk. And Space of course- Space the toilet paper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, of course this inspired many, many copycats. I'm talking about Bucky O'Hare, which mm -hmm. I, I believe actually had a good video game associated with that franchise. Cowboys of Moo Mesa, Street Sharks, mm -hmm. Biker Mice from Mars. Any oh. kind of animal. Animals at that time, they were like, what can we exploit? What animals can right. we turn into mutants that save the world? And I think the most successful copycat probably was the Battletoads. Even though they mm -hmm. didn't get a Saturday morning cartoon, I think they tried. 
like a pilot's floating out there, or maybe it only ran for a season. I might be mistaken, but I, I don't think it lasted long. And it, what's funny about the Battletoads, I'm going to skip mm. ahead a little bit, with talking about the Stamper brothers, uh, Tim and Chris Stamper, mm. who came up with the Battletoads. Uh, right. If you ever hear an interview with these guys, which back in the day, in our back catalog, with our older episodes, we have dozens and dozens of interviews with the founding fathers of the video game industry, mostly American. We had a couple interviews with people from Europe, and we had one interview with Taito in mm-hmm. Japan. Oh. I tried very hard to get the Stamper Brothers on the show back in the day. I'm talking, you know, six, seven years ago. And especially then, impossible to get these guys to talk. Tim Stamper evidently will give interviews now, and mm-hmm. I'm going to hopefully get him on the show in the future to talk about his favorite arcade game, because I'd love to hear it. But Excellent. when you listen to these guys or anybody associated with Rare, and this was a very small development team, before Microsoft picked them up. Yes. They are very careful about talking about the Battletoads and never bringing up the Ninja Turtles. Like, when they talk <laughs> about the origin story of uh, Battletoads, they're like, well, we want to come up with, you know, a mascot character. Those were popular at the time. And so-and-so was really fond of pond life. So we were going to do the amphibians, and we came up with the Battletoads. It's like, no, guys, you ripped off Ninja Turtles. <laughs> yeah, let's let's be real. Uh, here, And especially, I think, it seemed it to be more of a parody in a way. I mean, especially kind of like naming them instead of like, you know, artists, they're like, Oh, rash zits and pimple. Right. You know, it's just really the opposite side of the spectrum there. Yeah. They, they're going from, instead of being the kids say family friendly Saturday morning version of the Ninja Turtles, they kind of fell in between where it wasn't the Eastman comic Ninja Turtles, but mm-hmm. the battle toads had the nineties extreme attitude about yeah. them. Like, you know, again, like you said, the characters are named Rash, Pimple, and Zitz. The Dark Queen looks <laughs> like she belongs on like an Iron Maiden album cover or yeah. like, you know, airbrushed on the side of a van or something, <laughs> of some roadies van. And even the enemies with like the Warthog. And there is some similarities between the enemies in Battletoads and the enemies that you would see in the Saturday morning cartoon of the Ninja Turtles. But here's what I want to say. I notoriously, on this show, disparage English-developed games. <laughs> but I will give credit where credit's due. The Stamper Brothers, particularly, are on par with any development team or founding father of the video game industry. These guys were doing incredible things on the ZX Spectrum that were unseen. And again, it's a computer that I const- I call trash computer. It's tra- it's yeah. a trash APIC computer. It was made very cheaply. But for <laughs> the European and English demographic, this was a huge thing because it was affordable. It was in everybody's mm-hmm. house. People were programming on it. People were creating games. People were passing games, copying games with, you know, with each other. And mostly the games were just ripoffs of things you saw in the arcade. And we talked about this at our Long Island Retro Gaming Expo panel. Mm-hmm. where the arcades of yesteryear, and we're talking about electrical, mechanical, carnival-type games, influenced the video arcade, which we're talking about Pac-Man and Space Invaders. Right, and right. then those games influenced the console market and the PC gaming market, which mm-hmm. then in turn influenced what was happening in the arcade again. And you see this sort of, not a cyclical, but the, the circle back where there, there's just this constant building upon gaming, and you could right. root it all the way back to ancient Egypt with playing board games and stuff like that, but we're not doing that on this show. Um, <laughs> not this episode, at least. <laughs> but it's it's interesting to see the early work of the Stamper Brothers with their breakout hit Jetpack on the ZX Spectrum, mm-hmm. because what they did, to me, reminded me very much of Universal, the arcade developer. 
They mm-hmm. took other influences, built upon those influences, and made something truly unique. And Jetpack is that. You see the influences of Joust. You see the influences of early mm-hmm. platform games, of Defender. It looks sort of like a reinterpretation of um, Alien Sector or Baraduk. Right, it's right. a very interesting game. And today, it still plays very well, considering it's played on a trash computer. <laughs> yeah. So... And I believe you can find that as part of that rare collection that's on the Xbox One as well. Oh, yeah, it is a part of that. Yeah. You're right. Because you go through the history of rare, so that's all on there. And I th- believe you can unlock an arcade, the arcade version of Battletoads, which got a lot of critical acclaim from it because people normally didn't even know this Battletoads arcade even existed back in the day. Yeah, I think it was a pretty limited uh, distribution. It was distributed by EA, which was a very strange distributor for arcade games i don't remember Mm -hmm. seeing a ton of ea cabinets back in the day i feel like a better partnership for rare would have been bally midway but that's just my interpretation it's important to note that before they were rare the the, uh, stamper brothers formed ultimate play the game and they were very Mm -hmm. good about knowing when to get out and getting out while ahead Right. So when they left Ultimate Play the Game, there was a swell of computer game developers, and they saw that the ZX Spectrum was kind of fading out, and they weren't mm-hmm. really into the Commodore 64 or the Amigas that were coming uh, out or on the horizon. And so these guys actually bought a Famicom, an NES as it's known in, mm-hmm. in the States, and they uh, reverse engineered it and started developing demos and games on it. And they submitted these demos to Nintendo and actually became, as rare, the first affiliate for Nintendo outside of Japan, which, again, super important for the history of video games. They would pave the way for other people uh, to do the same thing. So these guys, again, I won't disparage them because they're European, because European, American, Japan, it doesn't matter. If you make uh, something of note, I have to give you credit. And... um, Let's talk about the Battletoads franchise. They started out on the Nintendo. Right. They had a couple hits on the Game Boy. And then we went into Sega Genesis and uh, Super Nintendo um, mm-hmm. I even had a, I had a Battletoads LCD game back when those were a thing. Those little oh. Tiger Electronics. Those, yes. How terrible was, was that? Ink, yeah, it was ink on a screen. And oh, man. It was terabad. I was it that. the uh, turbo tunnel uh, scene, or what was I, going on? There? I think they had that in there, but it's old school Donkey Kong where you just climb levels and you just basically one little side, and then you go up a staircase and you clear another one. You just gotta like avoid things. Yeah, it was, it was not very good. There are those tropes in Battletoads games where there's the drop down a tunnel on a yeah. bungee cord, and that's in this game. Right. Yeah. There's, I mean, um, props to them on that, at least. Yeah. They, for a beat em up, they didn't keep it all just side scrolling brawler. They actually added some pretty interesting uh, mechanics in that. But that, I guess we'll get to that later. But No, I mean, we could talk about it right now because we're going to talk okay. about the umbrella of this Battletoads franchise and what you would come to expect. So mm-hmm. y- you had the three players to choose from. I know it falls into the category of having the all around character, the light hit but fast character, and the heavy character. So the heavy character right. moves slow, you know, your Hagar or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So that would be Pimple. Mm-hmm. The problem I have is that Rash and Zitz, there's barely a difference between the two of them. Right. And I, I believe Rash is the light hit but fast character, where Zitz is the all around, but I could be mistaken. And right. you agree with that, I guess? Yeah, I was going to say, Rash is, he seems faster, but I mean, he's got sunglasses, so that makes him extra cool. Yeah, he, between him and Pimple, those were my two picks for the arcade game, as well as being a kid. Yeah. Um, I remember playing Battletoads on the NES for the first time and being mm-hmm. blown away by the animation. 
Right. What's interesting about Rare and the Stamper Brothers is that they had a very unique way of creating their artwork, which I appreciate very much because for those not familiar, I draw. You can check that mm-hmm. out at obeycube.com and see all the scribblings and doodles I do. They awesome would actually, stuff. thank you, they would hand draw the characters, then lay over a piece of trace graph paper and then fill in the blocks so that it would resemble the, the character that was drawn by hand. Then they would hand that off to a programmer to lay out on the grid. Now, this is probably like the worst way to make sprites as far as um, computer programming is concerned. Mm-hmm. But you can actually see the attention to detail throughout the franchise's history with what these characters look like. They are very much American-inspired but European in flair. I think it translates very well, even in the 8-bit NES game, where you see this squash and stretch and play with perspective with these characters. Right. And I did like the uh, different moves they had, too. If you did a running attack, like, he would kind of turn into a ram's head and just hit them with that. Or just, like, their fists getting ultra big and just beating the crap out of enemies. Yeah, the big boot, and you kick the enemy towards the screen. Right. Or um, early on in the Nintendo game, you would be punching those... um, robots with the long legs and and the legs will stretch yeah they would stretch back and you didn't see a lot of that and it was you know because a lot of the good japanese games that were coming out their animation style was very much influenced by the 20s and 30s animation Mm -hmm. and then they built upon that with the anime style right where with the Western developed games, you see this later squash and stretch of like what you would see from Spumco with Ren and Stimpy. And yes, mm-hmm. um, John Kay very much influenced by the old Looney Tune cartoons of the 30s and 40s, but he kept evolving that with his own style. And you see those influences in that evolution in the mm-hmm. Battletoads franchise. I think the two, Definitely. two strongest things about Battletoads is the art style and the music. Mm-hmm. It's no exception with this game. This game has some terrific artwork, and it built upon the previous artwork. So now they're bigger sprites, and they're more defined, but they still have that cartoon aspect, and they, they build upon that cartoon aspect with, right. like you said, the, the not a ram's head, but he turns into, a, I think Rash turns into a bulldozer at one point. Yeah. And um, there's the big fist and the big boot and getting squashed down and your little pancake flapping around. <laughs> yeah. And that's cool too. I like that. I mean, they really, you're right. I mean, they built upon the NES version where, you know, they would have some pretty cool little animations there, but in this one, including blood now, I guess they got a little bit more uh, liberal with the blood. Yeah. Uh, Let, oh, okay. Uh, so blood, let's talk about games that we believe are similar to Battletoads, the arcade. Cause I noticed that as well with the blood, it, it took me by surprise while I was playing. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this is totally a reaction to Mortal Kombat coming out a year prior. Right, and especially like, it seems like they were still like, okay, do you remember when Mortal Kombat came out on the Super Nintendo, they wouldn't include blood, but mm-hmm. they had sweat. Yep. It seemed like it, it did that same thing, like where it was like, there was blood in there, but it was kind of like, pepper like sprayed misty it didn't re- yeah like a misty blood and it was just kind of like sweat sprites that was just colored red they didn't want to push the envelope too far on it yeah i mean on the arcade platform you can do more and get a little more violent and i think you they, yeah they did you didn't have that. a parental uh you didn't have a parental discretion on arcades right have quarters will play was the philosophy of the yeah. arcade. Uh, and I liked at the end of the stage and again this rang a mortal combat note for me it would tally up the kills of 
the, each of the characters. Right. And it was called the Corpse Count, which I guess <laughs> came from the same universe of Mortal Kombat where there's no C's because corpse and count are spelt with, with K's. K, yeah. yeah. Other influences I saw, and you can jump in with your own as well, definitely saw an influence of Street Fighter 2 with the bonus stage of mm-hmm. bashing up that... That spaceship? Yeah, spaceship, or it kind of looked like an F-16 or a squatty F-16. Yeah. It's like a dog <laughs> captain inside. I was like, I don't know, is, is this a Star Fox reference? What's right. happening here? And he's just kind of hanging out in there. He's like, oh, I guess my ship's getting exploded. Well, yeah. that sucks. <laughs> And I mean, we talked about the influences of the Ninja Turtles. The original arcade game came out in 89. And then in 91, the sequel came out, Turtles in Time. Obviously, we're talking brawlers, so Double Dragon always gets brought up. 1987 Mm -hmm. by Technos Japan. And the only other game plays nothing like this, but I could see the influences of, was 1993's Doom. In Mm -hmm. just its... It sounded like... a, A lot of times when you're hitting the enemies, it sounds like the imps are shooting yeah. fireballs at you. I, I feel like yeah. it was directly lifted. <laughs> that could have been, yeah, I agree. One thing, throwback to Double Dragon 2, that mm. fourth stage in the game seems like an homage to Double Dragon as well because it has that Mission 5 feel to Double Dragon where it's the final level or it's Wily's Fortress. Mm. And it seems like when you're in this Battletoad, Dark Queen's Fortress or whatever... Yeah. I guess it's her fortress, but you don't see her. But it seems like it's all taken from Double Dragon with the spikes in the background and just like the nice like carpeted floor. Yep. I caught that influence real quick. Fearing that I'm going to sound too pervy, I wish we saw more of the Dark Queen. <laughs> right. No, I agree. Especially since she was the main villain in this Battletoads universe. And I think that was the selling point of the arcade was saying, you know, like, oh, you have to save the alternate universe from the Dark Queen. And then you don't even really see her in the game. And it kind of a it's a weird. Yeah, she taunts you. It's a weird bait and switch. Absolutely. Especially if you're an adolescent boy and you see her on the marquee, you're like, I want to play this game. She's floating in the background uh, on one of the boss battles, Mm -hmm. reacting to you beating up uh, one of her baddies. And then she taunts you in one of the cutscenes between the stages. And that's it. You don't see her again. And I was surprised, and we agreed upon this, that there was not some sort of boss battle between the Battletoads and her. But I guess they didn't know that this was going to be the end of the franchise, I imagine. So they were probably like, ah, well, this will lead to the next one. You didn't get her this time. Well, I guess it's it's all open-ended, which leaves the door open for Battletoads for the way. You get your free uh, (laughs) strap. Is that still a thing kids remember, or is that vintage now? Is that retro? No, that is... We're, is that quote-unquote retro? <laughs> yeah. um, so this game was uh, had some innovations on its own. Battletoads, the arcade game, was the first rare game to use Power Animator. You want to describe that a little bit? Power Animator was their 3D engine that is now known as Autodesk Maya, But uh, it was later used in Killer Instinct, uh, their Donkey Kong Country. You know, it was basically their kind of 3D engine that they perfected in those games. This was like their first time using it. And so you can see that, especially like when they're kicking enemies toward the screen, when there is uh, toward the last mission, when you're doing the space battle, Mm -hmm. uh, you can see how the ship is rotating. Very, very Donkey Kong Country-esque. Yeah, uh, pre-rendered sprites with these uh, deep backgrounds. There was a lot of parallax happening. At one point, yeah. I think there was up to four or five layers of parallax. Again, art direction very strong in this game. 
Definitely, definitely. And with the arcade, you had the ability to do that back in the day. I mean, it was a, you know, you had that power you couldn't really pull off on a console. No. Especially yeah. in 94, you were looking, what, Sega Genesis and Super Nintendo, which mm-hmm. is kind of scratching the surface of that stuff. I mean, as you later found out with Donkey Kong Country, but even Donkey Kong Country couldn't really match the different things that are going on. Yeah, from and that came version. out at, toward the end of the life cycle of the Super Nintendo. Earlier, right, right. you would see some of the play with the Super FX chip where they would do the squash mm-hmm. and stretch they would take a little sprite and make it a big sprite not right. in the same way that it happens in this game where it's a lot smoother mm-hmm. uh, you know in appearance so yeah there was the hardware there to support this uh, very fun art style the gameplay is probably the thing that i'm not trash talking the game it, right. it falls into the tropes of many brawlers it started to feel repetitive to me. And thankfully, Definitely. the game is very short. And I would encourage people to, especially if you like brawlers or fighting games, or you remember the Battletoads but never played this, play this game. Because one, there's no turbo tunnel. So you, yes. won't, you won't need to uh, find your game genie to beat this game. <laughs> and uh, two, I think it is important to note how the franchise closed mm-hmm. and be okay with it being closed. I don't need to see Battletoads again. I think this is a perfect end cap for the series in a good way. Even though it did have the elements of falling down a tunnel and using a jetpack, which was yeah. a very cool thing, and riding vehicles. There's a later stage where you're riding a vehicle and you're shooting, and I would have really liked that to be the entire game. <laughs> like, yeah, I was what- really enjoying that that level. Especially that level had a real Contra feel to it. Uh, we didn't oh, talk, yeah, we, we yeah. didn't list Contra as an influence, but that last level, like you're just shooting, you're kind of shooting in all directions. You can actually shoot power ups. There was just so many different things going on in that level that, it may, and you're just kind of running back and forth on this little ship. It felt like you were playing Contra, and yeah. especially with the enemy placement, it felt very contrast because at that point they were really trying to get your quarters because they were sending a Yo, lot of enemies yeah. your way. Yeah, so it falls into that trope where the incline of difficulty, very sharp. Repetitive nature with a lot of the baddies. There are weapons in the game that you can pick up and use. Uh, there's not many of them. There's there's a gun, there's a pipe, exploding crates that you can pick up and hit enemies yeah. with. But, and then you can get that piece of concrete, like that stick on a concrete, and just yeah, there's like a, people with that. It would be like a chain link fence pipe with yeah. a jackhammered piece of concrete on the, the, the back of it. Cool, fun, appreciate it. Much like the NES game, there's these moments where the flies will come into the screen and you can Mm -hmm. use your tongue to zap the flies and get health points. One fly per point, and I did appreciate the health meter. The earlier stages felt a lot more fair than later stages, and one of my biggest complaints was that stage one, you don't feel any more powerful than you do at stage six. No, not at all. I mean, it's it's a grind. I feel like good brawlers know how to implement the repetitive baddies, but the baddies that you saw that were, let's say, red in level mm-hmm. one, by level six, only take one hit from you because you've become stronger. Right. Maybe I'm asking too much from this game. I feel like 1994, this was something that you saw in the arcade and you saw other developers do. I think Rare should have probably went that direction mm-hmm. with this game. Rare also is very notorious for making difficult games. Even way back when, when they were Ultimate Play the game, they made challenging Mm -hmm. games, and this game is challenging, particularly with its boss battles. Right, and especially, like I said, this is a quarter eater. When you were at the arcade, I'm sure you spent a lot of money trying to finish this with all the levels and the length of each level. Right. I think if you tried to clear the game, it's going to take you about a good hour, and that's if you're skilled. Oh, yeah. And that's one person. If you're with three people, that's a different story. 
Sure, and I really would have liked to play this game with three people. And mm -hmm. maybe that's a reason why this didn't have a wide release, it was because of the expense of a three-player cabinet, which was not the norm. You either had two right. or four. I appreciate that it's there. I would like to play this with two other people. Maybe it would make mm -hmm. the experience a little bit more enjoyable. Not that I didn't have a good time. It just, by the end of it, I was happy it was over. Mm -hmm. And I was done. <laughs> like, yeah, I was good. I didn't, even though I wanted to see the Dark Queen and have that final battle, I was like, all right, cool. But if I, you I, ever want to do that, though, we can all take a road trip, meet in the middle, meet at the Galloping Ghost in Brookfield, Illinois, because they do have a working cabinet of Battletoads. That was the first time I've ever played Battletoads in, in an arcade. They have the a Galloping lot of Ghost. rare cabinets over there, huh? Yeah, they're amazing. They're over 600 cabinets now. They have the very rare Beavis and Butthead cabinet too as well, right? Yes. Yeah, they wow. have the uh, yeah the 3DO or whatever. So it was like a Laserdisc, I think, or something like that. I think that's going to be worth a road trip because I got to tell you, like a few years back, I could not praise Barcade enough. It's mm -hmm. since become a franchise. It's since has become more of a... Uh, hipster Dave and Busters. I don't want to trash yeah. talk too much, but like they got, you know, it used to be you roll up, there's all these craft beers and there's not a game newer than 1989. Oh yeah. And now there's eight different locations. You're paying for tokens. There's still excellent choice of craft beer, but you're seeing things like Turtles are there, Simpsons are mm. there. like the, And then lesser known games are being pushed out. Like I thought it was cool to go to Williamsburg, Brooklyn, get shit-faced and play Zookeeper for two hours. <laughs> yes. I thought that was awesome. The place was always packed, so I didn't think business-wise it was the wrong thing to do. And mm -hmm. then I go there and it's like NBA Jam's there. I like NBA Jam. I, right, you know, right. I, I, I appreciate The Simpsons, but it's like, I'm not going to travel all the way out here for this. But mm -hmm. you tell me there's rare cabinets like a Battletoads or like a Beavis and Butthead prototype cabinet. Hey, guess or what? Or Primal Rage 2. That's Oh, that's right. Seen. That's also there. Yeah, they've got a Fuck. ton I mean, they, yeah, I would highly recommend it. I mean, I can never say enough good things about the Galloping Ghost. And it, right now, I mean, they just upped their price. Uh, they went from 15 to $20 to get in, but it's all day access. You can leave and come back. They're open from like 11 a.m. till 2 a.m. And sometimes they even stay later if, if the business is there. All right, so a 8-bit uh, geek slash we talk games field trip slash road trip. Uh, maybe on the horizon in the near future because yeah, I I, I think I got to get out there and check it out. And you that would, is you wouldn't want to leave. We'll have to drag you out of there. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably it's true. unbelievable. It's for the arcade enthusiasts though. There is no there's no alcohol served there because they want to preserve the arcades. Oh and sure arcades that are like one of a kind they have a lot of people like uh brian you don't, you don't need brian, some dipshit dipping his ipa onto the joystick or something right. like that. yeah and i've been there's a barcade out in kansas city called uptown that it's just like that people are dropping their drinks on the machines all the time and you'll go to play a game and the buttons will stick you know it's just the maintenance done at galloping ghost is is superior and once again you have people like brian f colon colin colon the guy who created rampage and a lot of other midway classics mm -hmm. he goes in there regularly oh, regularly really? signing autographs and just hanging out with the fans and you also have the creator of cubert there oh, uh, my wife would love to meet him yeah and he signed wife the loves there. that game <laughs> Oh Love man, yeah, it's such a mecca for arcade enthusiasts. Now, did uh, he do Cubert Cubes? Because she might want to give him shit about that. <laughs> I think he did the original Cubert and then okay. called it a day, and then all the rest of it was out of his hands. Gotcha. But it's just, it's an amazing place. And for the arcade enthusiast, it is your dreamland. Uh, they have games that have never released in the States. They even have that uh, Japanese Metal Gear Online or Metal Gear Solid game. Oh, the yeah. shooting game. They have that there. They've I got was the, just looking at that cabinet. I was like, oh, this is so interesting. Cool. I played that last time I was in town. and uh, Is that where you did your high score? 
yes, my autograph is on their wall. They have a autograph wall of world record holders and it's over there, but it was at the galloping ghost where I set that record. Now, did Walter Day or any of those guys verify the score for you and give you a certificate or anything? No, they weren't there. Um, I don't think I'm on Twin Galaxies radar, but the website that holds it is now owned by the Galloping Ghost, but it's arcade.com. It's A-U-R-C-A-D-E.com. And the verification people are usually, they'll have like the owner or they'll have certain people that are verified referees. Gotcha. And Doc Mack, who is the owner of the Galloping Ghost and Galloping Ghost Productions, was there that night and he witnessed me get that score. Kevin, I believe your score. Actually, what is the score? Do you remember the number off the top? The of score is, if I can remember correctly, it's 154, 620. Okay. And the score that was previously held was by Jason Wilson. And that was 151, 210. Oh, wow. So, yeah. And that was, that was set back in 1999. I cleared it in 2014. So it took about a good 15 years before it actually like was beaten. So why so. haven't you started your hot sauce empire yet? I know, right? I'm going to start wearing American flag ties and start giving thumbs up to everybody. You've definitely piqued my interest in getting out there. I'm really considering. Yeah, yeah. It sounds awesome. Back to Battletoads, the arcade, the music. I just want to go back to real quick. I don't know if you agree or maybe you have a different influence that you thought of. This really reminded me of Snatcher for some reason. Snatcher from Sega CD? Yeah. Or MSX, I, I guess, but I don't, oh, I'm yeah, familiar with the Sega CD version, not the MSX version. I don't know if there's a difference in sound quality. I would imagine there is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the music in Snatcher reminded me very much of the music in this, or I guess this would have been influenced by that. Like cyberpunky, which again, yeah. works with the aesthetic of there's these toads in space for some reason battling rats and pigmen and, and a bull. <laughs> You know, the thing that reminded me most, and this is kind of a weird throwback, but um, the Spider-Man games on Super Nintendo, when they had like Green Jelly doing the soundtrack where it had like Mm. this really heavy rock kind of metal influence, but it was still on like a, you know, MIDI kind of deal. Mm -hmm. That's what it reminded me of in this arcade is just like this whole kind of like rock soundtrack, but the best you can do with just using like chiptune type stuff. Sure. Kind of like bordering doom as well. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. I I didn't see that connection until you mentioned it, but that makes sense to me, definitely. What we didn't like, and I think we agree upon this, even though there were these breaks of a bonus level or collecting the flies or the jetpack or the tunnel scene, Mm -hmm. those scenes where it was just a brawler kind of felt repetitive, even though, and Mm -hmm. I will give him credit for this, some of the stages, there are some platforming happening where it's not just walking left to right, it's walking right to left or going down the caverns of something. Right, right. That was the thing that I loved about it. Like I said, we talked about the jet packs and just like the Contra style level. I like that they added those in there. It really adds some difference to the game among the other millions of brawlers that were out then. Yeah. I mean, if I were to improve anything, I found that sometimes the hitbox was a little loose and the controls felt slippery. But then I went back and played some of the other Battletoads games and it's on par with those. It just kind of has a slidey control about it. And it never right. felt like I was out of control of the character. They just moved in such a way that I felt like they were always on ice a little bit. And how can we go this far into the episode without talking about the fact that this is probably the only Christmas arcade game <laughs> I've ever played ever. Level yeah. two is a snow level and you're fighting reindeer and there's like a pig Santa Claus. Yep, I was going to mention that. It was pretty crazy. And once again, that ice level makes it even more icy on the controls. Yes, very sippy. 
Very simple Which in, in the Nintendo game had a nice level as well. I mean, that was where you had the speeder level, wasn't it? Before the Turbo Tunnel, I think you had a winterized stage. And it was just horrible. It was controller breaking as far as the controls go. Yeah. One of the things that made me want to break my controller, you know, we talked about the Tex Avery sort of influence of the animation of the squash mm-hmm. and stretch. So when your uh, toad gets bashed in, turns into a pancake and he flops around, which I thought was adorable and fun, except when it continuously happened over yeah. and over again. And you don't get that sort of moment of invincibility to pop out. Right. So the enemy will just keep hammering on you. Spamming. Right. Spamming the 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 pancake mashing move and you're a little coin or, or pancake flopping around until you die. That I found irritating. Yeah. But again, looking back to other rare titles, it's not outside their wheelhouse to have stuff like that. And you couple that with the arcade mentality of many brawlers, which is, look, if they've made it to level five, we got to get at least 10 more dollars out of them because we got to free this machine up. So it kind of all just makes sense. This is not a bad game. This is a very good game. It's a solid game. I'm just remarking on some of the things that I didn't particularly enjoy and kind of burnt me out by the end of it. Yeah, leave it to EA to make a game. They're they're trying to take all your money. (laughs) Or at least publish a game. So, Kevin, will you return to this game? I think I already know the answer because we're probably going to go to Galloping Ghost together and play. But yes, tell me anyway. I will return to that game if it's in the arcade with you. All right. But otherwise, I mean, it's it's a gimmick game. Uh, you know, like once again, if I wanted to play a real beat 'em up game, I'd probably go classics like X Men or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or any of the Capcom, like the golden era of beat 'em ups when they, you know, they had Punisher, they had Alien versus Predator, Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, you know, stuff like that. Sure. I sure. feel like there's more to offer with those games, but playing Battletoads, it's like, okay, it's like living in Chicago and getting deep dish pizza. You really only do it when you have friends in town. Playing Battletoads would be like, you only really do it when you have two other players or one other player to play it with. I agree 100%. Kevin, I want to thank you for coming on uh, yet another episode of We Talk Games Arcade Weekly, especially for this year's Holiday Haymakers. Hey, I know 2017 has been a bummer for a lot of people, and I'm not associating that with anything political, although the news probably doesn't help. But I've heard recently, you know, friends of mine, other podcasters going through some things, and we all kind of agree that we're glad that there's this free content out there to Mm. distract us or make us laugh on the way home or at night when we're winding down. We hope that we talk games is that show for you if you're listening, something that you can wind down with and enjoy. And we want to really just express our appreciation to you, the listener, for your support and patronage through the year and through the many years. We have listeners that go all the way back to 2006 when we started, and the show has evolved so much since then. I also want to say the guys over at the 8 Geek, Great dudes, and um, if you're not familiar with them, please check them out. That's the8bitgeek.com. And they have a weekly show as well, and 2017 was a very rough year for me and my family. Not to get into the bummer territory, but I had a lot of anxiety and stress at work, and I ended up passing out and cracking the back of my skull on my desk, and it's a very thick wooden desk. And I spent three days in the hospital with a potentially brain bleed and had to go through a whole... 
a series of tests and an operation, and it was a scary time for me and my family, and it was a very dark time for me, but what got me through it was looking at my pod, well, what got me through it was my family, clearly. Yeah. (laughs) You know, uh, my wife, uh, 100%, my mother, and having my son there, like, these are the things that really got me through it, but there are those moments where it was just me in the hospital alone, uh, not knowing what was going on with me, and it Mm -hmm. was nice to see that, oh, there's that show I'm familiar with in my podcast feed. I can fall asleep to this, not in a bad way, but right. it was that that comfort that brought me back to normalcy. Yeah. So I really do appreciate what you guys do and what other podcasters do, and they put a lot of passion into their projects. We've had a lot of guests on our show throughout the year, and the reason why they're people that we reach out to is because we believe that they put together something very special that should be shared with more people. So... Um, Thank you. Thank you very yeah. much for everything for 2017, 16, 15, and, and everything from the past and into the future. Not to get all warm and mushy, but I had to say, because <laughs> it's the last show of the year. Uh, yeah. Kevin, just remind everybody where they can find you and a- any sort of holiday message you'd like to put out there before we go. I, you nailed it right there. I mean, it's it's amazing that we can all listen to podcasts and we live in such a time that we can listen to people from all around the world or people even listen to us from all around the world. We can all communicate so well and we have these podcasts that kind of really let us know that we're not alone in our thoughts. We're not alone in our opinions and our beliefs. And it's nice to be able to put on a podcast and just, you're right, just kind of drift away and just listen to these people who you probably have never met in person, but, you know, listening to their podcasts, them listening to you, it's just like, you feel like you're the best of friends or you feel like, oh, if I met this person, like it would take maybe five seconds of being awkward. But then after that, you're going to be like right on, like you're going to know you're going to be right on the same page as someone else. I met dozens of people through podcasting and have developed friendships through it and only recently have actually ever met those people face to face. Right. You know, Keith being one of them, Chris being one of them. And through the experience of doing this show, it was like, we just knew each other. You know, mm-hmm. they, it was a strange experience seeing them in a 3d form for the first time. <laughs> right. but, and that, that was a few moments. And then all of a sudden, like you said, it just clicked and and, you know we had those experiences but yeah there's so many people that you know i know just through podcasting and doing this and uh very appreciative for that as well hey yeah definitely for uh kevin wk over at the 8-bit geek i am kyle von kubik and thank you very much for another great year of we talk games arcade weekly we'll be back next week to talk at you again yeah Hey, just a word to the wise there, Mr. Anale. Uh Stand by, because I might need your help on this one. Fair warning. You too, Wiggly. If you want, uh, just come over. Don't worry about it. Just get the mic. Chevy Van, so so so, Hanukkah, Hokkaido, Hanukkah, Hokkaido, Chevy Van, so so so, Upsimana, Ulana, Neskedu, Hayasa, Neskedu, Yasa, Upsimana, Ulala, Chevy Van, so so so, Hanukkah, Hokkaido, Hanukkah, Chevy Van, so so so, Hanukkah.
Did it pretty good.